For so many modern-driven women, life is about being more than one thing. We're multidimensional, and so are our conversations. We carry multiple identities. We can be both mother and artist, both attorney and entrepreneur, both clinician and CEO, both humble and proud. Life for women like us is about both, about all of the above. It's about the and. Our stories are the stories of so many of you. We wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present with our families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. And we wanted to establish financial security for ourselves and our children. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other smart, conscious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And you're listening to the And She Spoke podcast. In our business, we're big fans of financial literacy and accountability. Knowing your numbers is an essential aspect of building a successful business and an inherent responsibility for any entrepreneur. We also believe that what you focus on grows. So pay attention to your money. How do we stay up to speed on our numbers? We use Bench for our bookkeeping. It's simple, elegant, and saves us so many hours that would otherwise be spent neck deep in receipts on the other side of a spreadsheet. Each month, our transactions are automatically imported into Bench, and we get on-demand financial reports. We even enjoy opening up our profit and loss statement to review each month. And when tax time comes around, we are up to date and ready to go. And this is what financial empowerment feels like. Head on over to anshe.co slash bench to save 20% off your Bench accounting plan for the first six months. Welcome to the Angie Spoke podcast. Today, we chatted with Naomi Clark. Naomi is a feminist financial consultant and coach where she partners with women to help them thrive financially by creating cash flow strategies which support their values and lifetime goals. She believes that one major reason that women struggle with making confident financial decisions is the patriarchy and debt shaming culture, two oppressive systems designed to have women feeling unprepared, doubtful, and distracted when it comes to to their money. Naomi likes to say you will find her at the intersection of personal development and personal finance. I love that. And she's so passionate about helping women truly tap into their internal sources of power. We know you're going to enjoy this episode. Money, women, patriarchy, debt shaming culture, all of it is discussed. Let's listen now to Naomi Clark. Naomi, welcome to our podcast. We're so happy to have you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Naomi, you were here because you participated on the, one of the panels in our virtual conference back in December, and we had such fun with you. We knew that we would want to extend this conversation, so welcome. So for those of our listeners that have not met you or did not participate in that conference, let's learn a little bit about you and your business. And I specifically would love you to explain feminist financial consultant and coach, which is a phrase I love. Absolutely. So I always like to ground, like whenever I'm on podcasts or I'm talking, I like to ground in just some facts and, and where we are in our society and culture. And so my name's Naomi Clark. I'm calling in from the traditional home and land of the Muscogee Creek Nation, also known as Decatur, Georgia in the United States which is right outside of the Atlanta suburbs. And if anyone's been following US politics, you all will know that Georgia came through in the 2020 presidential election and a special election for the Senate. And we were able to flip the Senate. And so I'm just a very, very proud Georgian, but I like to ground myself and ground others in where we are today. So I'm calling in from the US, which is a very wealthy country. And the wealth of this country was built on stolen land and also on the backs of stolen labor, stolen life force of enslaved Africans. When I get into talking about money and when I get into talking about resources and I get into talking about all the things that we enjoy in terms of modern living, we can't leave that past behind because it's with us. When I think about 
the coronavirus, for example, a worldwide pandemic, and the U.S. is positioned as a wealthy country to get access to some of these vaccines that other countries cannot get access to. So sometimes we think the countries we live in, especially those of us in North America, as the wealth of the country being separate from maybe our own personal financial situation. And the fact remains that no matter what our personal financial situation is, we benefit, whether you're a descendant of the enslaved, a descendant of settlers, a descendant of immigrants, or if you immigrated yourself, we all benefit from this wealth that was built in such a way that took from others. And so I like the ground with that. And I am a woman in my early 40s. I'm a Black American woman. And I like to talk about how I show up in the world. I'd like to say that I love to speak truth to power with heart, honesty, and humility. I like to talk about who I am at my core because that's how I show up regardless of where I'm showing up. But in terms of like what I do and some of the work that I do, I am a feminist financial coach and consultant. My formal education is in finance, got my degree in finance, started my career in finance and just have always had a real knack and love for numbers and stories behind numbers and have 20 plus years in corporate across all the typical finance supply chain, project management, accounting, logistics fields. But I started my own business in 2019, shortly before the pandemic, who knew? But (laughs) I started my own business in 2019 called Her Money Map. And I knew that I wanted to work with women specifically and people who identify with the experience of misogyny. I knew I wanted to work with women and help them in terms of power. And I talk about internal power and external power. External power comes from choice, whether it's the money that we have that gives us freedom of choice, whether it's power from positional authorities, such as the jobs that we're in. But I also think it's just as important to focus on internal power. And that's the power that is internal to you. That's the power that has nothing to do with how much money is in your bank account or what job title there is behind your professional name or how many degrees and acronyms you have behind your name. And so when I think about feminist financial consulting and coaching, That's where I'm bringing into my conversations with women. We're not just talking about budgets and slashing spending and that kind of restrictive way of looking at personal finance, which I think has a lot of ties to like diet culture that tells you to restrict and constrain. I saw the same happening with personal finance. And so I'd like to help women zoom out and understand that Money is one lever of power. And within that framework, we talk about our earning, our investing, our saving, and our spending. And what are all of the things that show up for us as we look across our comprehensive financial picture? And for many women, you experience perhaps challenges to how much you think you can earn. Not because necessarily you have a problem with your self-esteem but because literally women make less money than men. And then when you get into the intersectional identities that women have, you know, black women make even less money than white women. So it's not always about your mindset or about your desire to do well or your desire of what you think you can fulfill in your life. There are also things occurring outside of us. And I've heard you all talk about that on your podcast episodes as well. So That's where the feminist comes into it in terms of money management. And then the consulting is consulting on an actual solution or potential solutions to whatever challenges one may be having with their personal finances. And the coaching is in helping women to really own their power. And so that's why I make it very explicit, coach, consultant, feminist financial coach and consultant. Awesome. That is an excellent 
explanation and thank you for that in such detail. I love your idea of the external and internal power. And I want to go back to that for a second, because actually Jenny and I were just having a conversation this morning about all these external things, like all this sort of societal and like oppressive forces that we all experience some more than others, of course, sometimes it can just be so maddening that the world works in this way. But we always have to, and that's sort of the external forces, and maybe I'm, I'm twisting your uh, concept here a little bit, but we always have to remember that our internal power is always under our control. We can be angry that that racism, misogyny, whatever exists, but it is up to us to decide how are we going to show up in this world as it is to make any change. Exactly. So that internal power, I think some folks may call it mindset, but to me, it's even more than just a way of thinking per se. But for example, when you think about a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset, and you think about how, okay, someone may have millions of dollars in the bank or tons of disposable income, but they may have a fixed mindset about areas of their life. And so they don't see the potential. They don't see where they have autonomy or or agency. And so that's where you can have all of this perceived external power, but your internal power, there's, there's space and there's room to continue to, you know, move along that spectrum. And then, you know, conversely, and I would say this is where I really love to work with women is where you have all of this internal power. You see the possibilities for yourself. You trust yourself. You listen to that intuition. You listen to that inner voice. If something feels off, you don't assume that people outside of you know better than you. And especially for women, especially, like I said, for people who have all these intersectional identities where society is coming at you and saying, you don't know any better. You need to follow this path or think this way. Having that internal power is so foundational to creating a life that you truly love and cherish. And so how do you take that and then apply it to where you are resourced? And by resourced, I mean, you have the amount of money that you need to to thrive. And it's not necessarily about having a certain dollar amount in the account. You have the time that you need to have rest in your life and not just always be producing and hustling. And so it's disingenuous to think that money doesn't matter and that money can't buy certain things. However, I think it's so critical to go back to that internal power and really ground in that. And so with the women that I work with, women that I think are attracted to the message that I have, that's where I'm helping them to navigate. Because depending on the spectrum that you're on along, if you think about it as an X and Y axis, depending on where you are with the external power and internal power, it's a real deal if you can't afford your bills that are coming in. If you have more money going out than coming in, that is a real situation. That's something that mindset alone can't necessarily fix. So what's the pragmatic things that we work on? And also it's just as important for people who are resourced, who have disposable income, that they don't feel guilty, that they don't feel like they're undeserving, that they don't feel like they have to like earn it and do more, you know, as if somehow that's a a bad place to be. And so I think it's really fascinating when you get, you pull back the layers and start to really uncover that internal piece. And you got it exactly right. When I think about external power, how does your external power help you to disrupt some of the systemic forms of oppression and, and just all the things that we see impacting people today? You know, we've been pretty singularly obsessed for the last almost two years with this relationship between women, money, and power and untangling that and trying to understand how it plays out in our own lives and in our own company. And one thing that has really stood out to me, and this has come up a lot actually in recent weeks and Sandy and I have been talking about it, but once you have a certain level of resource, being resourced, once you're at a certain level, 
it's just, it's so much easier to speak truth to power and to be able to own that internal power and operate from a place, that place of internal power out in the world in conversations, especially around, around money or around politics. I found personally when we were under-resourced and we were scrambling, you know, to make enough money, it was terrifying to sort of speak out about anything because you, for me, it felt like I needed to kind of keep all the options open all the time and not make anyone angry or upset or push anyone's buttons versus when you have your basic resources met and beyond, it's this incredible opportunity then to go out and call people out on, you know, like if someone says something to you, you don't have to kind of be sheepish with hat in hand. This is all my own lived experience, but it's, it's all of a sudden like the tables are turned. And I know I came from a nonprofit and an academic background where I was always raising money and always looking for grants or resources. And I, I had to be so careful with what I said to anybody because I needed their money to serve for whatever I was working on to survive versus when you're, you know, now we make our own money. We have our own path to building out our resources and building wealth that there's this freedom that comes from that where you're no longer dependent on outside forces the same way. And you can really call it when you see it. Absolutely. And imagine someone telling you when you find yourself in a position where you're not as resourced and you're trying to look for solutions and look for ways to move along that trajectory to where you are fully resourced. Imagine someone coming to you and saying, oh, but it's your mindset. You just need to write some affirmations. You just need to like, yeah, think crazy. about, you know, all <laughs> the things that you are worthy yeah. of having. And no, it doesn't work like that. And what you described yeah. is the reality that when we are fully resourced, we have less to lose. And when you have less to lose, you have more space to say what needs to be said in comparison to someone who does have things, something to lose, such as women whom are in marriages where the framework of their marriage is that the person who's earning the money, they get to make the decisions. And so for a woman who is in a, I would say, marriage that is more equitable in terms of not linking income to decision-making because it should not be the same thing, mm -hmm. but there are marriages where it is the same thing. So imagine a woman who doesn't have that saying, well, you need to speak up to him. You need to, you know, stand your ground. And so I just think it's so important for that honest evaluation of where people are to come in. And when I think about women who are fully resourced. So you, you have that internal power. You trust yourself. You trust your gut. You believe in yourself. It doesn't mean you're closed-minded to other things, but you don't discount yourself. And you're also resourced from an ex external standpoint. So you own your own company. So you set the rules. You set the culture. You set the tone. You can't get fired <laughs> by anybody. You have disposable income, perhaps. When women are in that space and everyone I work with I'm looking to move them to that space. Mm -hmm. Every single one. The power moves that you can make are related to how you can spend that privilege. How can you invest in social justice issues? How can you create that generational wealth and power? How can you expand your platform to inspire others, to educate others? How can you build those networks, social, political, to affect policies, to affect change? How can you, you know, really amplify? And so we want women to be fully resourced. We want women to have the money <laughs> and to feel good about who they are. Because I do believe that when justice-informed people have more money and more power, the world is a better place. Point blank, period. Oh, yeah. I mean, 100%. It doesn't take much for me to make that connection. Again, coming from the nonprofit space where all of that work was raising money from families, essentially family foundations that were heavily resourced and seeing the power that those families have in our society to affect what charitable actions get taken to affect what diseases get eradicated and what treatments get funded, what projects get built. The people who have those resources have the vast majority of all of the decision-making power in our culture. 
And so for, yeah, for women to have that power is incredible. It is incredible. And one thing that grounds us is like when we started our conversation, it's who traditionally has had that power given to them. Who are the people that have been deserving of it? And so myself, if I just focus on me for a minute, I'm 43 years old. So I was born after the civil rights movement um, occurred in the U.S., which was like some of the, I shouldn't say civil rights movement. I'll talk about some of the civil rights acts that were passed where it finally became illegal to discriminate for basic things in terms of education, in terms of housing, in terms of voting in the 60s. So I'm a child of parents who grew up during Jim Crow. I'm a grandchild of grandparents who grew up where it was a reality of you talk about not being able to speak truth to power, like you would get killed. And we still see that happening today, but it's different. It it shows up a little bit differently sometimes. And so going back to really grounding ourselves in what's our position within our families, you know, individually, but then also within the broader society. And so I am like a kind of second generation, if you will, college graduate. Actually, I'm not being um, accurate. My grandparents went to college, which was very, very, very rare for at least my mom's parents did. They met at a historically black college. And we know where those historically black colleges came from because black Americans were not allowed to be educated. They weren't allowed to be able to read. And so today I would consider myself someone who earns income that puts me in a small percentage when you look at the average amount of income that a black American earns. However, in terms of wealth, I'm not coming from a place of having generational wealth because my grandparents were first time homeowners. There were things that other people have inherited that's always been part of their history, that's always been part of their belief system. So when you are a person of color, part of the work that we do is to actually have the audacity to believe that we are are just as deserving and just as smart and just as sharp and just as fill in the blank as anyone else. I have my team Kamala (laughs) 2020 shirt on because it gives me (laughs) such joy and power to see a black woman, a Southeast Asian woman, the first woman as a vice president. When you're accustomed to seeing yourself represented, it's almost impossible to express what it means to see that. And so for folks listening to the podcast, I may sound like, oh, you you know, Naomi, you got your stuff together and you do this and you do that and you help women with this and you help women with that. But I oftentimes have to ground myself in, okay, Naomi, you're trying to strive, you're ambitious, there are things that you want to do. And at the same time, If you compare yourself to your friend, maybe one of your white friends, they have access to things that I just don't have access to. And so I know I'm kind of all over the place, but it's all interconnected. And I guess that's what I'm trying to bring it back to is that when we think about women, money, power, being resourced, it's just a passion of mine to make sure that women understand, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with your mindset. We all have things that we want to aspire to and grow into, but some of us have different challenges that have nothing to do with us and everything to do with the culture and the the society that we were born into. And so how do we take that reality and still build the life that we want and feel good doing it? All of that is where the feminist financial coaching comes in. Yeah. All of it, all of that. What I'm so fascinated by is I think people, I mean, of course, people are going to 100% agree with you. The challenge becomes, how do I become audacious and want and do and take the actions to build that the wealth and, and to be resourced? And I think 
women and especially black women, we have been taught, we have been socialized to please others, to work for others, to we depend and we define our worth by what other people say to us, right? We follow the rules. We're the good girls. We have been the property of others for hundreds and hundreds of years, right? And so it is our generation that is now like stepping out of that. But we have to unlearn all of that in order to be able to have the, and I, I, I love that word, like to be audacious, to have the gumption to, okay, no, I want that. And I'm not going to tell someone or, you know, believe somebody else's words when they say you can't do that, or that's not possible, or, you know, all of the things that each of us have heard. So it's just like, how do you work towards the women that you work with? How do you help build their confidence in that area? Yes. So it's, it's all going to be very, you know, customized and nuanced. So there's no cookie cutter approach, but there are some common themes. And like I shared earlier, when I'm working with women and their money, the first thing we have to get very clear on is, are you able to pay your bills? Are you intimate enough with your numbers to know that the money you have coming in each month covers what you have going out? We'll get to your decision-making on what you're spending your money on. But if you have more going out than coming in, that is a completely different situation to build from than if you have disposable money. If you know that, oh, I can tweak a few things here or there, then I can, you know, have a savings plan. And so I get very pragmatic. And the first thing I do is I start with what are the numbers and what is the reality of your life? Let's really uncover the reality. and we may uncover that one is able to earn more based off of their education, based off of their experience, based off of their knowledge, based off of their acumen, and there's a mismatch. So how do we bring that into balance in terms of earning? And none of this shit is overnight. The overnight things are for the women that are, you know, have money and maybe they just need to shop online. <laughs> so that's why I said, you know, it's customized, but it's starting with, and it's looking at all of the things I talked about. What's coming in? What are you earning? How do we start to shift and, and bring that into balance? What are some decisions that may be longer term for you to make so that you are actually earning an income that matches the lifestyle that you want, but also that you're earning money doing things that you actually want to be doing? Because at the end of the day, Money means nothing until you spend it. <laughs> and so, you know, it's really about building a life that we're going to cherish. And we want to make sure we're spending our time in such a way where we are being realistic about what we need to have coming in, but also looking at what we're earning. So all of these have very pragmatic steps associated with them. Looking at that, looking at the spending, of course, the decision making, there are some tools that I think are often used in a way that's not effective. For example, budgets. Budgets rarely work when you meet them. And yet most people think that, oh, if I just had a budget, like there are apps out there, like you need a budget. Like they think if, well, if I just have a budget, then I'll be able to get control over things. But it's much more than allocating dollars to go certain places. It's about the decision-making and how are you planning you know, people talk about, oh, I have an emergency fund. I tell my clients and if people listen to my podcast, they will hear me say, I don't believe in emergency funds because what the fuck is an emergency? If you're, and excuse my French, I say that word. If you, <laughs> if you are employed, you are always at the risk of being laid off. If you own a car, you're always going to have to plan for maintenance. If you own a home, you're going to have to plan for maintenance. If there are people you love in your life, one day they will not be with us. How do you plan for that? And so really I talk about how can you plan in such a way where you're not thinking about the emergency because most people don't think an emergency will ever happen to them. Or it's one thing. I might get sick. I might lose my job. I might have a flat tire. No, it's how do we plan 
for what are our non-negotiables so that we know <laughs> we are making choices with our money that align to our values? And how do we plan to have those values covered month after month after month? So, you know, you asked me what are some of the ways and from a money management standpoint, I like to get very into the numbers. Let's be pragmatic. Let's reframe how we think about some of the decisions that we're making. And let's get really honest about why we may find ourselves in the position that we are in, but then also really get honest about, okay, we also have the power to come out of it. I would really love to hear your thoughts and opinions on debt. I know a lot of people like actually grab this from your website and I <laughs> believe this is true, but I'm going to pretend it's like my idea. But you said that a lot of people think like debt is bad, should be avoided at all costs, and that somehow debt makes you irresponsible. And Jenny and I have had lots of conversations around debt. And, you know, truly, is it like a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it does it make you an awful person? Like, I find the conversation so interesting. So do you want to share your thoughts and opinions on debt? Thank you for asking me that. Because mm -hmm. I have lots of thoughts. I know I got a lot of bullet points I copied that I just took two from your website. And so debt is what one makes it. Debt is nothing but a tool. And like I shared earlier, my, my degree is in finance and my background is in finance and companies use leverage all the time. Exactly. And leverage is debt. And what is that? All they're doing is using other people's money to make money. And so when one uses debt as leverage, you may be able to, well, if it's truly leverage, you will be able to get further along towards your goals from a monetary standpoint in terms of returns on your investment, returns on whatever it is that you're borrowing against, than if you use your own cash. And so companies use this as a tool all the time, and yet somehow, and it's not somehow, it's actually on purpose. Individuals are taught, if you have debt, it's a bad thing. And for many people, and we talked about people whom have historically and traditionally been oppressed, you don't have generational wealth to just pay for college outright. You don't have wealth to just put a down payment on a home, let alone pay for a home. And so then we move into this, well, some debt is good and some debt is bad. So the good debt is your schooling, is, you know, your home. And even then it's like, well, hold on, by whose standards? Because it's not necessarily true, especially today, that 18-year-olds and 19-year-olds know what they want to do with their life and should be taking on hundreds of thousands of loans, student loans, because they've been conditioned that, well, I have to have this degree in order to have a good life and get a good job. And so you see professionals who start out underwater with all of this debt because they were taught, oh, that's okay to have. That's, that's good debt to have. Now, nothing against people who take on student loans. I'm not saying that either. Remember, I said debt isn't good or bad. It's how you make it. But I really want people to question where their beliefs about debt come from, because I coined this term debt shaming culture, and we have a culture that shames people if they don't have money and if they need to borrow it. And with that shame comes these messages, I say, from the debt shamers. And the debt shamers can be your own mom who love you immensely, but if you have debt, that means you don't value hard work. You want instant gratification. If you have debt, oh, you're irresponsible with your money. You should be saving more. If you have debt, oh, no, you shouldn't be buying that. You got to hurry up and pay off, off all of these credit card loans. And that's where the debt shaming culture really creates a sense of urgency and shifts people into thinking, if I have debt, I have to do everything I can to hurry up and get out of debt. I need to put all of my money into paying off these credit card bills. But what happens? It leaves you exposed 
to not having the savings that you may need for the inevitable. Remember I said, it's not an emergency. It's a reality when your tire goes flat. It's a reality when you need to have a repair done on your appliance, but you've paid thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars back to these companies instead of taking a step back and looking holistically at your financial picture. But that debt shaming culture has you automatically thinking, well, it's bad, so I have to pay that off. And so then the work is around, why do you need to hurry up and pay off your debt in two years? Have you run the numbers? Let's just look at how much in interest you're going to pay on carrying this debt for three years, for five years. Let's look at this number. This number is what you're going to pay to maybe carry it for five years while you build up your cash savings, while you get into the practice of investing, because that's going to compound. And you, the time value of money, all this time you spend trying to pay off the credit card companies, is time lost on compound interest with investing. And so it's all interconnected. And that's why it really gets me going when I look at all these personal finance people and all they want to talk about is so-and-so paid off $60,000 in debt on a teacher's salary. So-and-so paid off $100,000 of debt in two years. And it just gives this perception that if you don't have debt, then that means you're managing your money right. And it's just totally twisted. It's so much broader than that. And um, I want to share a personal story real quick. My daughter has some learning differences and we uncovered them when she was fairly young between kindergarten and first grade. Me and my husband were positioned. Well, one, she was at a private school. So that already has a level of privilege that comes with it in terms of class size. But even then, there were some additional support and help that we were able to get for her outside of the school. And it was almost like sending her to Harvard for a semester in terms of the amount of money it cost. And so there's all this privilege that I'm able to use in terms of being able to afford it, having her in a school where they're recognizing something with her executive memory functioning as off. And so we get this quote, it's going to cost you, I'm just going to say it, $20,000 for intense, like four months. And she was going like five days a week, half the day. It was very intense and it got her what she needed. And me and my husband, we talked about it and we said, do we want to take 20000 out of our cash savings? Do we want to take a loan? How do we want to fund this program because our values around education, our values around what we are positioned to do for our children and what we want to do for them, we ended up deciding, let's pay for half outright. Let's finance the other half. Let's run the numbers and see how much it's going to cost us to finance the other half. And we decided, oh yeah, it's worth the extra thousand dollars. It's worth it. And we have an extra 10,000 in our bank <laughs> that we would not have had. And this is the most important part. Every time I paid that bill, I had no problems. I was grateful. It was aligned to my values. We made the choice to use debt as leverage to where she is on track with where she needs to be. And we continue to support her in her education because she does have learning differences. But if we had been so caught up in the debt shaming and in the drama, we would have felt terrible for all that time because we were allowing the debt shaming culture to like come in and take hold and take root instead of thinking about, hey, what are our values and what are all the tools that we have at our disposal? And I want to be honest and clear and transparent with your listeners. Again, I'm coming from a privileged place here. I mean, me even saying we could consider paying for something that costs $20,000. That's fucking privilege. Acknowledging that and yet still knowing that I get to not feel shame because I have this privilege with being able to make this choice. Like, that's what I'd love to work with women on. Yeah, I think that the way that Jenny and I have approached this is 
with debt. And thank you for sharing such a personal story. It demonstrated it beautifully. Debt is neutral. It is what it is. Until you decide that it's bad or you've learned that or that it's like in your case, you've just what I heard you say, debt is neutral. I chose to think about it in such a way, right? Like I decided on purpose how I'm going to view my debt and then I can live my life without without the shame. But so much of us, I, I totally agree with what you're saying about that. It, it's just bad. And I think so many people just, and, and it's like, it is sometimes our friends and family that are like, Ooh, yeah, into that debt. Right. But I think it's an interesting question when it comes to leveraging it. Like there's so much you can do with debt. Like if you are struggling with money and if you went in debt to build a business, then that's fantastic. That's like, I love debt, you know, in that case, but so many people don't want to spend the money to do like a business program because they, it's debt and I can't afford it. But what if you did do that and you can make a hundred times, like, how is that a bad thing? Exactly. And that's how using debt as leverage, like before you can even get to where you see it as leverage, there's a level of critical like thought and reflection and introspection that one has to do to figure out, okay, what do I value in my life and what resources do I have available to me to align the actions and decisions I'm making to these values? And so when one opens a business, yes, you know, we're not doing charity. It's not a hobby. There is an expectation that we're going to make money. And at the same time, when women are opening businesses, often it's because there is a passion there. There is a belief there in what they're doing and what they're bringing into the world that goes so much further beyond your net customer sales and the revenue you have coming in and your cost of goods sold and your balance sheet numbers, what they're telling you. When you can tap into that, then to your point, it's like, okay, this is an investment. (laughs) This expense is an investment. Because and, and it's an investment because it's going towards something that's going to be greater and bigger than the cost of the debt that I'm taking on. But people have to get there and sometimes they need help with it. And what I've seen is that when people are in a lot of credit card debt and they pay it off, there can still be some fear because the work wasn't done to uncover really what are, what's driving the decisions. And so then it can go completely to the other side of the spectrum where there's this fear of having a credit card. There's this fear of debt as a tool. Is it that trust isn't there with how you use that tool? Is it that somehow you believe that it's better? And I know your podcast can't see me. So listeners, but I'm throwing finger quotes that it's better to spend five years saving for something as opposed to maybe one year saving for something and then the four years enjoying the thing, whatever it is, and then baking it into your financial plan that for four years, I've run the numbers, it costs me X amount of dollars in interest, to have this thing four years earlier because time is precious. And depending on what it is, it could be a home for your family, that vacation for your family. It can be any number of things. If we go back to values, then it has to be something that feels good and feels right for you. This is so hitting home for me. I have not, I don't think I've shared this on the podcast before, but I did not come from intergenerational wealth in any way. And when I decided to pursue entrepreneurship. I spent the very last money in my family's bank, in my bank account on the program where I met Sandy to the point where I had to buy my baby's medicine with a credit card, which was fine. It was just like floating it till the next month. But I I mean, I spent like literally the last penny on the program, the entrepreneurship program where I met Sandy. And I did that because I believed that I believed fundamentally in myself and my ability to leverage that experience into a business. And 
you know, you, at some point you have to figure out what you're betting on. And I think where you spend your money is really indicative of what you're placing a bet on. Like I'm going to get enough value out of X, Y, Z. So I'm going to invest in it. And I think that you can't approach that from a place of fear because you won't make the decisions that you need to make those brave decisions to have the impact in your life that you want to have. Debt is, is weaponized in our culture in a way that really negatively impacts certain people and really positively impacts other people. Oh my gosh, you just dropped the whole like sermon with that. It, it's, it's true. It is weaponized. I remember when I was applying for college and I shared my age. So I was applying for college in the mid 90s. Like um, I graduated high school in 1996. And the formula for success that I was given was you go to college, you get a good job, you live a happy life. And so I subscribed to that formula. There were some flaws with it, (laughs) but, you know, for the most part, college fit me. It fit how I was as a student. It fit how I learned. It fit what I wanted to do. Not once from orientation to graduation day did I think, oh, this is not worth it. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Like, I just knew that there's value here. And to your point, it's like when you go into these decisions, just as a belief in your bones, it's not questionable. It's unassailable beliefs that you have. That is so freeing to where just what you said, you you used your cash, you floated some things on your credit card for a bit. But the return on that, I bet if you were to run some numbers, ridiculous, pretty epic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, off the charts. It took a long time, but yeah, off the charts. And so for women that aren't there, so you on that internal power spectrum, you were already there to where you were able to make that decision and not have that shame of leveraging a, a tool, a financial tool such as debt. But for women whom whom aren't there. How do I help them to uncover for themselves? I'm their partner. Oftentimes we're taught to look outside of ourselves, especially for many stuff. And so I find so much joy and real um, affirmation in seeing women get to where you described that you were. Because can you imagine the world that we would be living in when more women are able to get there. And sometimes we just need a little bit of help and we need to see others that have done it. And Mm -hmm. I think that's a huge part of it is seeing others that have done it, having examples, knowing that if you know it's possible for someone you look up to, then you can see how it's possible for you. Yes, exactly. Hence representation matters. It really matters. It's not the end all be all, but it matters. Yeah, that's, I think that's a perfect place to kind of wrap this up on that positive note. Jenny, do you want to run into uh, or lead her into Join Hustle? Yes, and I have a new question that I want to ask every guest, but Naomi's already answered it. Oh. So this is that question, do you consider yourself ambitious? And I actually wrote down when you said it, just it came out of you. So I already have your answer, which I'm so happy to hear. You say that because so many of the women on our show, we've just started kind of asking this question to guests and so many women's answers have surprised me on people who by all like external appearance would consider themselves ambitious based on achievements, accomplishments, life situations don't. And so I think first of all, I want to hear just for one second, why do you consider yourself ambitious? Because I'm worthy of having what I want with my life. And I don't owe anyone and necessarily like an explanation or a reason for what I want. I believe we are all here for a reason. I believe that we all have a purpose. I believe there's no comparing ourselves to other people. And so that ambition for me is really the drive to live out my purpose. And that may sound so woo, but It's beyond the ambition to make six figures, make seven figures, have this amount of home. Like, sure, that's that's fine and well, but whatever that is, I think that is what ambition means. Okay, well, Naomi, at the end of every episode, we ask our guests to share a joy and a hustle. So something that's bringing you joy in your life right now and a tool that can help our listeners hustle in their career or business. Okay, so what's bringing me joy every day? 
I have a habit of finding something that will bring me joy. And some days are just really shitty. And no matter what, I love putting on my red lipstick. I love having a good, hot, steaming cup of coffee. And the simple pleasures, the things that no matter what's happening in the world, these simple pleasures that that I enjoy, that's what brings me joy. That's just two small examples. And then in terms of hustle, I just learned about zaps, zap, <laughs> zapier, zaps. <gasps> yeah, live and die by it. Game changer. <laughs> now, you know, 20 years in corporate, I am not used to IT. I am not used to doing all the things that I do in my business. And so the zap, I was like, oh my gosh, who thought of this? And it's completely changed my life. And so, you know, I don't know what percentage of your, your audience hasn't heard of it. I may be so late to the game, but that is a hustle that if you don't have a zap, at least one, check out the website, <laughs> check out the templates, because for those of us who are solopreneurs, it's, it's a like a part-time employee. Yes. <laughs> Just yes. clicking all the buttons in the background for you. Send in, sending information from one place to another. I know I get our little report that comes in from our Zapier account and it's like, you automated 16,192 tasks this month. <laughs> like, oh my God, yeah. what would happen we're, if this ever broke? We're getting emails saying, you're almost out of Zaps. You're going to have to upgrade your plan. So that was a good reminder <laughs> that I have to go and do that. But I 100% agree. You, you know the value exchange because yeah. all oh, the yeah. times when we're using money, you it's charge like, me anything. Exactly. Because the value is worth it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So, absolutely. So that's, <laughs> that's an awesome, I can't believe nobody has ever said that before. So that is a great, a great suggestion. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Thanks. That's awesome. All right, Naomi, it has been so fun. Where can people follow you, work with you, learn about you? Where do they go? Absolutely. Okay. So I have a podcast called The Outspoken Girlfriend. And so every week I release new episodes. Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find me there. Also on IG, I'm at The Outspoken Girlfriend. And that's where I like to engage and just really share a lot of the thought leadership and ideas and as a feminist financial um, consultant and coach, I have an email that folks can sign up for, and that's the best way to learn how to work with me. I'm not sure when this episode will drop, but I actually have a free workshop that I'm doing called Where the Fuck Is My Money? And it's free and <laughs> folks can sign up for that. <laughs> well, I laughed at that. <laughs> um, and of course, awesome. you know, my website at www. NaomiScottClark.com. Thank you so much, Naomi. Awesome. Thank you so much for this hour. So much fun. Thank you. Thank you. Ready to go from, I really want to build an online business, but don't know where to start to, wow, I've just sold my first digital product. That's exactly what we're going to help you do during our free Become an Online Teacher course. We've created a simple five-day email-based course to teach you everything you need to get started as an online teacher. By the end of the week, you'll have a digital product that's mapped out, priced, and ready to offer your community. Head over to soulful.mba teacher to sign up. It's totally free. 